The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams The podcast versions of the original Facebook Live readings during the coronavirus outbreak by Matthew Ogden, The Bearded Wit. Please bear in mind that as Facebook Live recordings, these are rough and ready, there are mistakes, there are a few trip-ups here and there, and there is laughter from the reader as he goes through and follows the humour himself along with you, the listener. We hope you enjoy listening to these and share liberally. Before we begin, I'd like to ask you to seriously consider becoming a patron of The Bearded Wit by going to patreon.com forward slash The Bearded Wit. You can support me from as little as $5 a month, which is essentially a cup of coffee, uh, and that will mean that I will be able to continue producing this material and other podcasts that I do, and it would mean the world to me to have you um, know that you're, you've got my back on this. Uh, I love producing this material for people, and it's been a huge pleasure for me to do this, uh, which basically started as a project for family and friends right back at the beginning of March last year uh, when the um, uh, COVID-19 virus was really beginning to kick in. It was a way of basically connecting friends and family all over the world who were finding it a bit difficult as we all did and it's grown into something where I've got a lot of people listening all over the world. It would mean the world to me if you could take the time just to pop over to uh, patreon.com forward slash the bearded wit, sign up from as little as five dollars a month, as I say uh, it's a cup of coffee. It would mean the world to me because the more of you guys, you fabulous people out there that do it, the more I'm able to do more of this stuff for you on an ongoing basis. No obligation, but if you can, I would be so deeply grateful. Also, if you could take a moment to pop over to Facebook and uh, give The Bearded Wit a like and follow, uh, and also go over to my new YouTube channel as well, um, just search for The Bearded Wit uh, and subscribe. Uh, I'll be putting all of the live readings slightly edited um, and cleaned up a bit uh, onto that uh, over the coming weeks. Um, But yeah, join up, uh, get involved, like, share, follow, subscribe, do all the usual social media things. Okay, on with the reading. Thanks very much, everyone. Part 41. To the meat of the whole thing, please do uh, become a patron on patreon.com forward slash the bearded wit. Sign up for as little as... uh, five or six euros a month which I suppose is the price of a halfway decent cup of coffee somewhere Uh, and you can support what I'm doing with this with the other readings the rats in the walls which is stuff that will become we have the first of them as a test which is already up on Patreon Uh, I did a reading of the classic uh, ghost story M.R. James's um, A Whistle My Lad and I'll Come to You um, which I did for the uh, Halloween period Uh, there will be more to come on that but that will be patron only content uh, of course all the stuff that i'm doing on here will be on the uh, free to uh, podcasts all over the place uh, but please do support if you have the spare uh, and can afford to do so that would be great right a quick recap probably that might break people's ears when they're listening to the podcast version of this quick recap we are in the sixth book of the trilogy um, we are uh, into and another thing which is the book that was penned by Owen Colfer 
Um, Owen Colfer was commissioned to complete the work that uh, uh, the Douglas Adams estate felt was slightly left undone uh, due to Douglas's untimely passing. Uh, he always wanted to pen something that was a little more upbeat than uh, the previous book, uh, which basically obliterated everybody. <laughs> so, so the objective of, of or the, the the feeling that Douglas had was that he was going to do something else, and this is what Owen Culver has penned. And in this book, we are following the movements of our intrepid heroes uh, across the galaxy. We have discovered uh, that um, the gods of Asgard, Thor in particular, have something of a bone to pick with Zaphod, and Zaphod has gone to Asgard because the person saving them from doom on Earth was Wowbagger the Infinitely Prolonged, who was had immortality sort of foisted upon him, and he is now at a stage in his existence where he really, really, really wants to die. Uh, and Zaphod has perhaps somewhat rashly promised that he will be able to get um, one of the gods uh, from Asgard, um, to kill him. So he's gone there to sort that out, he thinks. Meanwhile, back on uh, Wowbagger's ship, uh, we've had a bit of a kind of let's get it on moment uh, between him and Trillian. Uh, and random Trillian's and, and Arthur's daughter has probably been barfing about the whole concept uh, whilst that's been happening. We left our intrepid heroes at the last reading. Zaphod was racing across the Bifrost Bridge, um, being chased by um, some dragons uh, that had been given some of his clothing to sniff and who were sort of taunting him with what they were going to do with him and also what they were going to do with any planets that he came from or was involved with. Um, and that's where we left it. He was sort of at the point where he didn't know quite what he was doing. Um, and the dragons were preparing to uh, dragon him to death, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I, I will have my cup of tea, of course. It's my band, by the way, Licking Toads. Very, very good band. World famous in calling. Um, cool. Uh, okay, that's a better cup of tea than I had at the last reading. Oh. Thanks to the tea bags that my parents brought over with them from the United Kingdom. Thanks, Mum. Thanks, Dad. Right, I'm presuming because nobody, no one's screaming and shouting that you can all hear me. So we will crack on. Right, and another thing. Right. Deep in the bowels of Asgard, there mouldered a magma-powered deep-sink sewage treatment megacube. Below this, and to the left a bit, in what might reasonably be called the rectum of Asgard, sat the region known as Niflheim. At the lowest extreme of Niflheim, on what might be fairly referred to as the interior sphincter of Asgard, sat Helheim. Hell, the mistress of said sphincter, lounged on the pile of inflated serpent intestine cushions that littered her throne, stroking the baby dragon's stole around her neck. What do you think of my new stole? 
she asked Modgood, her corpse-eating familiar, who was currently wearing the form of a giant eagle. Modgood squinted. I think it's still alive, sweetness. Hell wrung the little dragon's neck with a perfunctoriness that suggested much experience. What do you think now? I don't know, mewed Modgood, who had always been a bit petty for a corpse eater. It seems so lifeless. Suddenly, Hell sat bolt upright in a flurry of squeaking cushions. I just got the... It's... It's the... It's... Oh, she stammered, twisting a communicator earpiece deeper into her ear hole. Modgood rose up on his claws. What, sweetness? You, you just got what? The password phrase from Odin. Which one? The change the sewage filter one? No, no, you stupid bird. Compliments to the underbrasier. That's the password for the pressure cannons. We're under fire. Modgood was wounded by the personal attack, but decided for the good of the planet that he would let it fester for the moment. Now, now, sweetness, hold up there. There's no call for hysterics. Don't you need some kind of confirmation? Hell dabbed her brow with a hairy forearm. Yes, yes, of course I do, dear friend. The fail-safe bongo code. Uh, sorry about the stupid bird comment. Oh, forget it, said Modgood good-naturedly. You're in a high-pressure job. Inside, he swore to up the daily doses of poison. Maybe he couldn't kill this witch, but he could have let, left, could have her writhing on the toilet for at least half the day. Hell's relieved smile froze as the failsafe bonga code vibrated up through her torso from the iron throne she sat upon. What is it? Shut up, idiot, I'm counting bongs. Modgood preened for a few moments whilst his mistress counted. War, she said at last, springing to her feet. Asgard is at war. Finally, my chance to get out of this dump and back to the surface. If my defences save the day, then it's so long, loser craphole. Loser? Hell rolled her eyes. You are so sensitive for a corpse eater. Warm up the cannons. Which ones? Not all of them. Yes, all of them. What am I shooting at? Not the bridge. Heimdall's on the bridge. But anything else that moves, snapped the she-devil. We might lose a few dragons, but there are aliens inside the shell. Loser crap hole, thought Mudgod sulkily, opening a window on his wrist computer. At least we acknowledge the existence of technology down here. At least we're not relying on archaic phone calls and bongo codes. I can mental brain what you're thinking, screeched Hell. Something about tents and cake. Modgood activated the cannons with a few taps on his screen. God help us, he thought. 
but not the gods we have here. Some other ones that are a bit less. The corpse-eater did not finish the thought, just in case Hell got her mind-reading spot-on for once. Zaphod was running out of breath, and what little he did have left sprinkled his lungs with pins and needles. The dragons swirled around the bridge now, at least a dozen of them, shunting each other with playful shoulders, nipping at tails. They loosed fireballs close to their targets, stripping chunks of ice from the bridge. Still, thought Zaphod, killed fighting dragons in Asgard. Not a bad way to go. Better than slipping on a wet spot and tumbling into a boring hole. Pity I couldn't reach that wall. Wall? Hadn't Diona Carlton Housney said something about a wall? I shall make reaching that wall my new short-term goal, decided Zaphod, with the same full tank of foundation-free reasoning that characterized most of his life-changing decisions. If it's the last thing I ever do, I will reach that wall. Two lurches later, his legs gave out, and he was reduced to dragging himself along the bridge in a three-handed scrabble. Wall, damn it, he croaked. Wall. The dragons thought this was hilarious, and one of them even pulled a cell phone from under a scale to call his weekend buddies. Honestly, you have to see this idiot, Bernie. You remember that guy with the wooden legs? Remember we lit him up like a torch? This guy's even funnier. Get here, now! More dragons. Fruity. The beast's wings dipped inside the atmosphere tube, tugging at Zaphod's clothing with their sharp little claws. Come on, this is an official presidential jacket. Don't you lizards know who I am? Bifrost jumped with the impact of giant footsteps as Heimdall jogged leisurely along the bridge, grin wider than the crooked mare of op- op- Optimizia with dental implants who's just won the planetary lotto on his birthday and discovered that his chief love rival from high school was recently cuckolded and that the prosecution's case against him has collapsed. You didn't make it, said the god eyes magnified by the orange lenses of his ski goggles. Are those prescription? wondered Zaphod. You didn't complete your task, Babble Pox. It's Beeblebrox, shouted the frustrated galactic president. You may not realize this, but every time you mispronounce my name, I feel bad. I'm a positive kind of person, but for some reason, that really hurts. It's not funny. I think it's funny, feeble jocks, said Heimdall, using his godly voice projection powers to broadcast his comments to the dragons, who chuckled fireballs and smacked wings. What do you think, my beautiful pets? I think it's buffer bucket of hilariousness, answered a red-striped alpha male hovering above the bridge, his rear legs dangling, which is harder than it looks. If you ask me, boss, mispronouncing this mortal's name is close to... More sounds came out of his mouth, but they weren't words as such, just 
shrieks, and a few initial consonants which were probably on their way to being swear words before the pain blotted out any commands from the dragon's parietal lobe. "'What the?' said Heimdall before his jaw dropped. The red-striped Alpha had simply burst into plasma flame, taken from behind by some sort of missile. "'Wow!' said Zaphod. "'I've often wondered what would happen if a dragon held his breath.' Another dragon was hit in the shoulder, sending it spinning towards the surface of the planet, leaking ink blots of blue-black smoke. "'Aren't you going to react?' asked Zaphod. "'Don't you have the whole super-speed reaction thing, or is that just the Major Guards?' Heimdall was goaded into action. "'Fly, my beauties!' he called. "'Hide on the surface!' The dragons dropped out of their hovering pattern and scattered for cover as far as away they, as, as far away as they could get from whatever was attacking their comrades. Fast as the dragons were, many could not outrun the slew of spiralling missiles that were hugging the bend of the planet, breaking from the pack when they locked onto a target. Heimdall collapsed his horn and put an emergency call to Helheim. Hell. "'We're under attack here!' "'I know,' said the she-devil. "'Don't worry, I've sent a few dozen shells your way. "'Can you see the enemy?' Heimdall was known for being so alert that he needed no sleep. They used to say in the taverns of Scandinavia that he could see grass grow and hear a leaf fall on the other side of an ocean. But that was a long time ago, and these days Heimdall often snuck off for a snooze after his latte and had been known to miss the sound of autumn altogether. I don't see them, just missiles coming up from the southern hemisphere. Hell hummed. The southern hemisphere, you say? Not through the Bifrost arch? Nope, I'm looking at the arch. Up from the south, definitely. And you can't see any aliens. Maybe green chaps with lasers or some such. Heimdall squeezed Gjallarhorn's shaft until it squeaked. No, no zarking aliens, okay? Just groups of blue torpedoes with pinkish trails. A bit like ours, if I remember. No, no said Hell in the tone of a guilty teenager blocking her mother at the door to a bedroom which is full of boys and drugs, stolen jewellery, and possibly music playing backwards. They, they couldn't be like ours. Ours have red trails. Uh, a light red. Some would call it uh, puce. Heimdall growled as another of his dragons took a hit. I don't care what some would call it, Shoot them down, Hell. Can you do that? Um, yes, I, I should think so. The computer has um, isolated their frequency, so we should be able to send a self-destruct signal, which I am doing now. The remaining missiles exploded in flashes of pink and electric white, gears and pistons thunking into the ice shell. 
Well done, said Heimdall, tears of relief on his tanned cheeks. Odin shall hear of your labours this day. Will he? Would you? That's marvellous. Uh, of course, I, I could have destroyed those missiles much sooner had they actually been our missiles, because I already have those frequencies, so obviously they weren't our missiles, and why would they be? Uh, but in case anyone asks, they weren't. Anyone like Odin, for example, not ours. Got it? Heimdall was about to answer when he noticed that Zaphod Beeblebrox had discovered new reserves of energy and was racing just as fast as he could towards the wall. If he gets over that wall, I am bound to parley. In spite of this truth and the recent losses to his dragon brigade, Heimdall's face was smeared with a grin. Beeblebrox had nearly reached the wall, but nearly was about as much use as a flayboos in any activity involving thumbs, bottle opening, for example, or playing the lute, or perhaps hitching a ride. The Beetlejuicean may well have been standing still for all the good it would do him. Nothing could outrun a god in real space. Even with one footfall to go, Beeblebrox may as well have been a light year away from the wall, wearing a lead jacket and neutronium boots. Catch Beeblebrox, Heimdall thought, and before the electrical impulses containing this notion had time to fade, he had Zaphod by the throat and pinned to the wall. I don't know what you did to my lovely dragons. Whatever it was, it won't help you now. Zaphod felt as though a mammaloid was squatting on his chest. Not a nice vegetarian mammaloid, either, who probably sat down by accident and would lumber off as soon as it heard Zaphod's voice. No, a vicious, mutant, carnivore mammaloid who had gone against the advice of its parents and the herd in general in making the decision to tenderise its prey with buttock bounces before consuming it. Stupid. Mutant. Mammaloid, huffed Zaphod, woozy with all the running and CO2 inhalation. Heimdall's grip tightened a knuckle. Is that it? Are those the last words of the famous President Needlefrocks? Zaphod remembered something. I'm not the only one with a nickname, am I? The god twitched nervously. What are you talking about? Don't bother denying it. You guys all have, like, a secret pet name. A name of power. Thor Toldi told me all about it one night on tour, after an open-air gig in a quarry on Zentalguabula. We were so hammered, you have no idea. I kissed a Silagestrian. Liar, hissed Heimdall. Zaphod was hurt. I'm not proud of it, but I kissed that Silagestrian all right and, it, and its handler. 
No mortal can know our monikers. It is forbidden. You lie. Heimdall's huge, smooth face was inches away from Zaford. His anger shimmered in the air around them, and Gjallarhorn glowed red with godly power. Zaford took all of this in and said, Lie? Me? That's a bit strong, isn't it? I'm just repeating what Thor told me. Don't kill the messenger and so forth. Don't say it. I am warning you, mortal. Even Zaphod saw the absurdity of that warning. Or what, you'll do something nasty, like send dragons after me, or squeeze my head off. It occurred to Heimdall that he should probably get on with the head-squeezing before Zaphod could get the name out, but a sudden nervousness gagged him for a vital moment. An instinctive exploitation of vital moments was one of Zaphod's few areas of expertise, the others being his much-reported Big Bang technique, three-handed preparation of gargle blasters, and a system of inverted blow-drying that gave his quiff that nice extra bounce. Come on, bent stick, he said. Let me up. And Heimdall did. He had no choice once his divine moniker had been invoked. The god took a dozen steps backwards and then turned his back in a sulk. Someone, anyone, calls me Bent Stick on Asgard, and I am bound to civility. Bloody Bent Stick. What sort of a divine name is that? He grumbled, kicking loose lumps of ice through the wall of the atmosphere tube, creating localised rainfall on the planet's surface below. Loki suggests it, and of course Odin thinks it's hilarious. Loki says... He says, look at Heimdall out there on his ski slope with that old bent stick of his. And the boss man nearly swallows his beard laughing. So from that day on, it's bent stick this and bent stick that. I used to have a great name. I was Asgard's eye. But apparently that's too tricky to pronounce after a few tankards. So now I'm bent bloody stick. The giant god's shoulders hitched repeatedly, and he looked from the back, very much like someone who might be having a little self-pitying sob. "'Hey, come on,' said Zaphod, picking himself up. "'Why the long face? You got stuff going for you?' "'What do I have going for me?' I'm stuck out here on this stupid bridge with a bunch of reptiles for friends. He stamped a foot, sending tremors rippling across Bifrost. You know what they're doing in there now? Do you know? Well, no, I... Orgies! shouted Heimdall. Old school orgies. Look at me, out here... Chasing mortals. I could be in there, covered in jartle resin, up to my neck in... Okay, big fellow, 
There are a few pictures that even I don't need floating around in either of my heads. Loki has got two palaces, two! After all the stunts he's pulled, and he sits at Odin's table. And why? Why? Because he can remember jokes. Heimdall turned, his moustache wet, his eyes despairing. Bloody jokes! I am guarding the planet here. Hello? Zaphod tucked his third hand into a pocket. You know what I see? What? said Heimdall, his jutting bottom lip casting a shadow. I see a hero. Don't you patronise me, Fe- Beeblebrox. Zaphod punched the god's thigh. I'm not patronising you, silly. What you are is a genuine hero, and there are only a dozen of those in the universe. Me, you, and four others. Heimdall's nod was barely perceptible, even for a chin as big as his. Maybe. Odin doesn't see it like that. Zaphod stood on tiptoes. Can Odin hear me now? Sorry, I lost my place. <laughs> yes. Zaphod stood on tiptoes. Can Odin hear me now? Probably not inside the tube, unless he's specifically listening. Well then, forgive me for saying it, but Odin doesn't deserve you. In fact, I'll go further. Maybe Odin needs to take a look inside himself and ask who should be sitting beside me now. A gutless trickster? or my loyal guardian? I think a lot of people would like to hear that question answered. Cutlass? You, you think so? A lot. We may be mortal, but we're not stupid. People like you, Heimdall. They adore you. Maybe once they did. Now? Still, did you know that they have a Heimdall cult on Algal? Those sun simians can't get enough of you. Really? Algol, you say? And on Earth, you were, well, a god. Statues all over the place. Heimdall chuckled. Yes, <laughs> Earth. They did love the whole horn thing. His eyes misted, and for a moment the light god was doing encores in Scandinavia, until he realised that Zephart was playing on his weaknesses. No! snapped the god, wiping his nose. It's over! We're over! No parley with mortals! You have to. I know your secret name. Oh, sure. Spring that one on me. That's low even for you. Zephod placed two of his hands on his hips. I invoke your secret name and demand my right to entry. Heimdall, God of Light, also known as Asgard's Eye. Heimdall snorted, not unhappily, 
and hefted Gjallarhorn. He tapped a section of the wall and the entire edifice crumbled to dust. Dust that flitted into the atmosphere, squeaking, Free! Free at last! Heimdall, you bastard! I have to let you in, said the god of light. Thor is probably in the well of Urd, drowning his sorrows. I'm apparently doing this as a mixture of Heimdall and Zephard. Let's try that again. Sorry. I have to let you in, said the god of light. Thor is probably in the well of Urd, drowning his sorrows. He more or less lives there these days. You can have one beer with him, if he will permit it. One beer, said Zaphod. I'll just sip. If Left Brain could have intercepted this thought, he would have laughed bitterly and proclaimed that there was about as much chance as Zaphod Beeblebrock's just sipping as there was of a mouse giving a straight answer to a simple question. Slurp of tea. Glorious as always. Next chapter. The Tangrishnir. We're back with Wowbagger et al. Ford Prefect uh, was also heading towards a beer moment. The Beetlejuicean researcher was determined to enjoy the peace and quiet of dark travel for as long as it lasted. He draped blankets over the portholes in his room, replicated a tankard of Goggle's beer, and then plugged himself into the ship's computer. His hitchhiker's guide had a pretty good sub-ether connection, but the Tangrishnir system was so fast that it could run a real-time hologram from a hub a thousand light-years away with no discernible delay. Mega lightning fruity, thought Ford who knew nothing about holograms, apart from the fact that they were sparkly and that you should never lick one. Ford logged on to U-Bid and bet himself a second tankard of beer that he would not spend his entire projected lifetime's earnings before blinking. It was an easy bet to win. He purchased a couple of luxury space yachts, 300 gallons of bouncer jelly with garlic, a small com continent on Antares for a favourite nephew, and several potted deadly when watered megafloral for his sorry, and several potted deadly when watered megaflora for his least favourite staffers at Infinidim Enterprises, all charged to his limitless Dynacharge credit card. I might feel a twinge of guilt about sticking it to the guide, thought Ford, if the editor, Zani Whoop Van Hal, wasn't a gutless stooge who took bribes from the Vogons. As a roving researcher, Ford had nothing against taking bribes on principle, but you had to draw the line somewhere, and for Ford Prefect that line was drawn just above anybody trying to murder him in one of the, in one of the nasty ways. Attempted murder through alcohol poisoning, he was prepared to forgive, and more than likely forget. But when someone tried to kill him with thermonuclear warheads, Ford tended to nurse a grudge. Retail therapy over, Ford blinked several times and leaned back in the chair. Thank you, Doxy Ribonu Clegg, he thought. Thank you for inventing the sub 
ether. Guide note. Technically speaking, Doxyribonu Clegg did not invent the subether. Rather, he discovered its existence. The subether waves had been around for at least as long as the gods, just waiting for someone to pump some data into them. The legend goes that Ribonu Clegg had been lying on his back in a field on his home planet. As he gazed blearily up through the wedge of space suspended above him, it occurred to the, renew the renowned professor that all this space was loaded with information and that perhaps it would be possible to transport some information of his own through the cosmic conduits if only he could make it small enough. So, Ribonu Clegg hurried back to his rudimentary lab and constructed the first ever set of sub-ether transmitters using pepper grinders, several live pinky rats, various cannibalised lab machines and some professional standard hairdressing scissors. Once these components were connected, Ribonu Clegg fed in the photo pics from his wedding album and prayed that they would be reassembled on the other side of the room. They were not. But the national lottery numbers for the following evening did show up, which encouraged the professor to patent his invention. Ribonu Clegg used his winnings to hire a team of shark lawyers who successfully sued 89 companies that invented actual working sub-ether transmitters, making the professor the richest man on the planet until he fell into his lawyer's tank and they followed their instincts and ate him. Ford was halfway through his fourth tankard when the door to his chamber slid open and a parallelogram of green light bleached his wall screen. Hey, come on, I'm trying to relax, blowing company money here. Switch off that beam. Very funny, said a voice so sarcastic that even the auditory challenged nut tree voles of Oglaroon would have detected its insincerity through their whiskers. Ford swivelled on his chair and realised that the glow came from a person in the doorway. You seem a little green, he commented. Random scowled. So would you, if you'd spent the last while sealed in a tube with a cloud of veridiginous gas that was trying to make you happy. Happiness? <gasps> that would never do, would it? Not when your mother is making out with that horrible alien right under your nose. Disgusting! Ford nodded with a wisdom beyond his years. Ah, yes, the de Boeuf principle. I read about that in a thing with actual pages in it. A quaint thing where you flip the paper over. A book, said Random, and she may have glowered. It was hard to tell. That was it. I I'm guessing you're not too happy about this latest romantic development. Random stomped into the chamber, puff clouds of green dust rising from her shoulders with each footfall. No, I am not happy. He is so arrogant. Such a... A palm wrangler? Offered Ford helpfully. Yes, exactly. Ford's fingers tapped the air impatiently, eager to wrap themselves around a tankard handle. So... Why don't you talk to Arthur about it? He's your biological patriarch. Random smiled bitterly. 
Arthur. I tried, but he's in love too, with his blasted computer. Even Ford was a little surprised by this. It wasn't that, for, that people didn't fall in love with machines. He had a cousin who once spent two years shacked up with a sandwich toaster. But Arthur was so uptight, so straight-laced, such a total earthling. Love is love, he said, falling back on his brochure knowledge from a peace spa he'd once visited on Hualius. Don't judge unless you want someone else to come along, probably someone green, and judge you, and you'll say, come on, what's all this judging for? Don't judge unless you want someone else to come along and judge you, and so on. Pause. Ford paused for breath. I've had a few beers, so I am paraphrasing. He winced, expecting to be smacked about the chops with the wet fish of cynicism, but random was suddenly all sweetness. That's really good, Ford. Wise, you know. Okay, I'm going back to my room to wash some of this junk off and think really hard about not judging people. Ford waved her off gallantly. No charge for that nugget, young missy. Any time you want a few words of wisdom, feel free to drop in an old Fordy. I've got tons of advice on the more offbeat areas that most people wouldn't have the first clue about. What to do just before a planet explodes, for example. I am the universe's expert on that particular subject, believe me. And he returned to his screen, satisfied that his sometime role as Ford Prefect, nurturer of youth, had been fulfilled for at least this lifetime. Parenting? <laughs> Nothing to it. I don't know what all the fuss is about. If Ford had been a little more tuned in, and a little less zoned out, he might have remembered from his own youth that teenagers only ladled on the sweetness for one of three reasons. One... There was some shocking news that needed breaking, possibly involving pregnancy, substance abuse, or a forbidden relationship. Two, they had developed a deeper level of sarcasm that was virtually undetectable except to another master of the form, and that definitely wasn't the adult being sarcasticized. And three, a bit of sweet talk was a handy distraction when there was something in the sweet when there was something the sweet talking teenager needed to steal. By the time Ford might have realised that his limitless credit card was missing, it had already been put back, and shortly before that, Random Dent had utilised Ubid's retro buy-time window and purchased something from a long-dead seller. Something a little more sinister than 300 gallons of bouncer jelly with garlic. Garlic in the jelly, not the sinister item. I am the unluckiest man in the universe, Arthur Dent explained to the Tangris in his computer. Bad things happen to me. I, I don't know why, but it's always been that way. My nan used to give me bullseyes and call me her little trouble magnet. Only she was from Manchester, so she didn't say trouble. The sparkling hologram which sat cross-legged at the foot of the bunk squinted, while she rifled Arthur's memory. Oh, she said, a bullseye's. For, for a nanosecond there, I thought, wherever I go, things get... 
blown up or, or blasted by angry aliens. But not you, said Fenchurch. What? You, you don't get blown up or, or blasted. You've already had one long and healthy life, and now you're having another. Arthur frowned. Ye yes, but there was the whole dressing gown and pyjamas period. How unlucky can you get not to mention being stranded on most of your species are dead, interjected the computer, just as Arthur's memory assured it Fenchurch would have done. It was a billion to one against you surviving, but you did. Twice. That seems pretty lucky to me. That's, that's like fictional hero lucky. I see your point, but still, and you have a beautiful daughter. True, but she's moody. Really? That's odd for an adolescent. You are truly cursed. Arthur was stumped. How was he supposed to feel if not put upon? Then the holographic Fenchurch unsettled him further with a non-sequitur. Nothing as bizarre as, look, a monkey, but pretty surprising nonetheless. Love can be a noun or a verb, she said. I see, said Arthur. Then what happened to luck? Oh, that conversation was just superficial. This is really what you want to know. What love is? Yes, and why you can't seem to get over losing it. Arthur felt his heart beat faster upon hearing this. Do you know? Can you tell me? And no numbers, please. Fenchurch scratched her earlobe and sparks crackled at the contact. I can tell you what love means, dictionary-wise, all the synonyms and so forth, and I can tell you about endorphins and synapses and muscle memory, but Arda's resonance in the heart is a mystery to me. I'm a computer, Arthur. Arthur hid his disappointment with the traditional brisk rubbing of hands and stiffening of upper lip. Of course, no problem. I am made to live forever, but you are made to live. Isn't that a serious cybernetics corporation's slogan, said Arthur, frowning. Henchurch heated two pixel clusters to effect a blush. It might be. All that it means is, is that an entire company of advertisers think you will believe it. Ah, no answers, then. Only questions. I thought we didn't know the big question. Fenchurch examined her own fingers. The big question is different for everyone. For me, it's the half-life of this ship's reactor. I'm not actually made to live forever, that's just a slogan. And what's the answer to the half-life question? I don't know. Bloody thing is touched by godly magic. It should have stopped 10,000 years ago. So, no, Arthur, no answers for you either. Nope. 
talk is just talk, isn't it? Sounds like it. It looks like everyone is relying on Thor. I know he was your boss, but he struck me as a terrible bore. Fenchurch stared dreamily into the past. A bore? No. He was lovely. Divine. Arthur could not remember seeing that expression on the real Fenchurch's face. I think we'll have to disagree on that one. Very well, Arthur Dent. Shall I select a random question from the lexicon of your memory? Good idea. The computer flicked through the files for a moment and then asked, Do you fancy a cup of tea? Arthur smiled. Now, there's a question I can answer. Right. Ha ha. We will stop it there for this evening. Thank you very much for joining. It's always lovely to see you all. Oh, hello. Uh, Aga, didn't see that you joined. Nice to see you. Um, I will be back. Same time, probably Monday, I think. I'm going to try and get things onto an even keel with uh, Monday being the regular reading. Uh, but I will put up a, a, an event um, so that will uh, you'll be able to keep up to speed. Thank you very much for joining again, as always, this evening. Lovely people. Um, I will see you soon. Um, don't forget to become a patron. Go to patreon.com forward slash the bearded wit and sign up and support what I'm doing. Thanks very much. Look after yourselves and take care. Bye all.